This is Shayna. And Chris. And we are Bad Queers. If you came out of the closet and got put in a box of stereotypes you don't belong to, then welcome to the Bad Queers Club. All right. This week in Queer Urban Dictionary, I have a slur, actually. Um, <laughs> uh, my word is bati, bati boy, bati man, bati gal, which is a homophobic West Indian slur for a gay man or woman. Uh, my sentence is Bati Boy appears in a number of dance hall songs. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Start paying attention Again, is a slur. Wow. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was hoping to get a little bit of your Jamaican accent in there, but you know, it's okay. It's, it's okay. my bad. Wow. It's awful. It's, this is a Yankee slash Jamaican household, so I know, and that's why I was hoping that you had like it's up pretty stuff, no, so. no, it's awful. It's okay. awful. Wow. Emery has a book that <laughs> there's it's called Big Tune, which I'm saying it wrong anyway. But um, <laughs> his mother is better at reading it. I have a a forced Anglican accent, mm-hmm. and I'm a Yankee, and uh, I could just I just do my best, do my best. So, mm-hmm. glad that he has the exposure to it. Mm-hmm. Well rounded. So it's okay. That's okay. well rounded. Um, my queer urban dictionary word of the week is the old way Vogue. You know, after seeing a renaissance, it sparked it back up and was like, yes, we're going to talk about this. So, old way Vogue, as described by the one and only Laomi Maldonado, originated in the 1970s. Those in ballroom would emulate poses found in fashion magazines and were also inspired by martial arts movements. So my sentence is, is that the old way of voguing, this style of voguing focuses on symmetry, lines, and precision. Serving the old way. That was a moment. Truly, truly. Mm-hmm. All right. We have company. We are welcoming Jennifer Eden, your favorite femme daddy, dominating audiences from the classroom to the dungeon, a certified sexuality educator and pleasure coach, this black, queer, non-binary femme has been schooling folks on consent, gender-affirming language, and kink dynamics everywhere from BDSM clubs to Ivy League universities up and down the East Coast for over a decade. Through poetry, comedy, and storytelling, they bring their unique style of sensual edutainment and wet humor, never dry, to every stage they touch. Audiences in Philly, New York, New Orleans, D.C., and of course, their hometown of Baltimore have all experienced Jennifer Eden. Mix Eden if you nasty. When they speak, be ready to laugh, be ready to think, and be ready to open yourself to pleasure in ways you've never experienced. We have company today. Our friend, we go back, we're getting, we'll get into that in a second, but Eden, thank you so much for being on Backwears. Happy Hi. Thanks for having me. This is like yeah. a pandemic manifestation come true. So yeah. I'm very excited <laughs> to be in the virtual room with y'all. <laughs> We have been virtual <laughs> friends since the pandemic because mm-hmm. um, we did live events together for her when uh, I worked at her and I met you through Kia Comedy. Uh, shout out to Kia. Um, and yeah, you have an amazing platform. You know, we will get into everything that you do. But yeah, we met during the pandemic and it's yeah, here we are. We're still three years. Is it three years? Is it four mm-hmm. years? It's Who knows? Time it's is never a ending at this point. Yep. It doesn't matter. Like, yesterday. It's still yesterday. Exactly. <laughs> like 2020 to now are all one year in my mind. It really yeah. is. It really yeah. is, though. It really feels that way. Like when I think about it, it's like three years. I'm like, but it's not. It's not. It's exactly. like last year. It's still going on. But anyways, 
bad depressing stuff. Um, tell us about yourself. Tell us where you grew up, where you call home now. So I am Baltimore, born and bred. I spent a little, little bit of time in Philly, but came right back home to Baltimore. I went to undergrad in the DMV. Shout out to Bowie State University. Um, I also founded the first ever LGBTQ student center on an HBCU campus while wow. I was at Bowie. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's a little, book. you know historical record for the bad queers listeners um but yeah baltimore is home i love baltimore well how did how did baltimore shape your upbringing and your uh queer journey what is like your earliest kind of queer experiences in in baltimore Oh, my goodness. So my family is like very Christian, very conservative, but also very um, non-communicative, I'll say. They're not the type that will like shove their beliefs down your throat, but they will let you know that they disapprove of whatever it is that you're doing. So I was very clear that being queer was not okay. I was very clear that I had to maintain a very like high femme presentation. That's what was expected of me. Um, And it wasn't really until I went to undergrad that I met other queer people and like other black queer people specifically and got to go to some of the little happy hours and bars and clubs in D.C. And that's when I was like, oh, these are my people. So as much as Mm -hmm. I say I'm from Baltimore, D.C. is really where my like social life is and where my queer upbringing kind of happened, because that's where I got to experience the nightlife. That's where I got to be introduced to stud who are still my favorite people <laughs> on the planet. Um, that's where I really like came into the Eden that exists today. We love to see that. Also, we love the love that we're going to give to stud strippers. We're going to talk more about stud strippers in, in the near future. But we also know that and shared it with our audience that you are a poet. You are a storyteller. How did you get into that? How did you unlock this creative spell for yourself? Poetry was really the first place that I was able to like express myself. I've been writing poetry since I was eight or nine years old and I would write in secret because I always felt like if somebody found my poems, then I was going to get in trouble. And again, like I already knew the things that the family disapproved of. So I'm like, let me keep this all to myself. So there's all sorts of random like takeout menus that have little poems on them that I've written that are shoved in a box somewhere. But I got on my first stage when I was like 16 years old and I was not supposed to be in that particular venue. So thank you to the doorman that let me in, even though he knew I was underage. I didn't drink, so nobody's in trouble. But that was the first space that I really got to go on stage and I did this gay ass poem about being attracted to women. I don't even remember exactly what poem it was, but there's this one poem that came to be my like coming out piece. It's called Ode to Femmes. And I wrote it to perform at this same little open mic. Shout out to Warm Wednesdays. Um, And I, I wrote it literally so that there were no questions about who I was there to see and who I am like there's a very particular type of like 
poetry guy who comes to the open mic specifically to use his subpar poetry to get into the pants of whoever will accept it. And I wanted to make it very clear that like, not only am I not into you because your poetry is whack, but I also like women. And so I feel like <laughs> I tucked it all into this neat little package of Ode to Femmes and I still perform that poem today. Um, it's always really funny when somebody remembers it or requests it because I'm like, yo, I wrote that poem literally 20 years ago at this point. It's wild to think that I did anything 20 years ago because that seems like a ridiculous amount of time. But yeah, I wrote that shit and I still stand on it. Where did you find the courage to do that during that time? You know, wanting to stay low with it. You get the, you know, the takeout menus where you're like, OK, nope, I got that. Don't throw that away. Let me uh, let me get that, you know, and uh, writing and then making it on the stage. Do you think that has more to do about growing up in Baltimore and just the queer scene feeling, you know, affirming enough or um, you having the courage you to know, go do that? So it wasn't even a queer open mic. It just so happened that one of the hosts was queer. One of the folks that I went with was queer, um, mm -hmm. but it was a super diverse audience and like mostly straight people, I assume. Um, mm -hmm. But it had everything to do with being away from my family and away from the folks that I went to school with. Like it was having this other space, this other group of people, this other audience that didn't have the same hang the same hangups and the same kind of disapproval that I already knew existed at home and at school. And so having this other space, these open mics and these stages that I could go to, and it's just like, wow, people accept me for me. Like whatever I say, I still have something in common with these people because we all like poetry. We all value this space. We all care about creative expression and just saying what you got to say. And like, that was the thing that gave me the space to keep, keep writing and keep saying what I wanted to say. I love that. You were like, oh, mm -hmm. so it is. Oh, it's y'all. That's wrong. <laughs> like these people love me and get it. It's oh, it's y'all. Like you're able to kind of have that's that outlet. I think what it was. And I you know? think there's also a respect that I felt on stage that I didn't feel anywhere else. And I still mm. feel that way. It's something about being on stage and being on the mic that you have command of the space. You have the attention of the room. You have, you know, folks who are actually there to hear what you have to say. And that was so new to me. Like I definitely came from a like speak when you're spoken to kind of family. Mm -hmm. And so going into open mics and being on stages and knowing that like for the next five minutes, I can say whatever I want and people are listening to me. In turn, I just decided I was going to make sure that what I had to say was valuable and something that like I could still stand on. So like having the stage and the mic as a safe space is really what like gave me the, the voice that I have now. And it's dope to see because you've been able to go and take that off into events, into teaching, into so many incredible things. So let's start with some of your events that you have hosted or you currently still host what how would you explain the vibe of your events if somebody is walking to a space for a first time how would you describe an event that you host oh my goodness an event that i host could be any 
variety of things. That's why I tell folks that reading is fundamental because when you check the the site or the flyer or the listing, like you'll know what you're walking into. I'm all about upfront communication. I'm all about informed consent and letting people know what they're getting themselves into. I'm all about education. And so some of the spaces that I curate are really for you to come in and learn something. I happen to be connected to a lot of people who know a lot about a lot of things. And I have been blessed to be able to create platforms for those people to share what they know with other people. And so being able to say like, this is an educational space, come in with an open mind to learn, ask your questions, connect with folks. I love creating those spaces. Also love creating spaces where people can explore and experiment and put the things that they've learned into practice. Again, with informed consent and with knowing what folks are getting into, but also giving folks space for like trial and error and just like seeing what you like, seeing what you don't like and learning to communicate that. Cause real talk, we don't learn how to say what we're into and what we're not into. And mm -hmm. so just being able to practice saying no or saying, oh, I might be into that, but like check in in a little while. I just got here or like wait till I get a, a little more comfy and then I'll come back and find you like giving space for folks to do that. But it's all about pleasure. Every space that I'm in is all about folks being able to just show up as their authentic self, whatever that means as far as their gender identity, their sexual expression and attractions, like whoever you want to be, whoever you want to try out being, you get to be that when it's a Jennifer Eden event. Big facts. I love that. Do you? I, oh, I know, I, was, I know you're going to. I had a follow up. I had a follow up as you were talking. <laughs> you know, and for some of the moments that folks are able to speak up about the things that they want and that these events are centered around pleasure. Can you give some examples of moments that you've seen those things happen and like what high level, like what was happening or what people are able to come and practice within the spaces? Cause I think a lot of people don't know what to expect, whether they're when they're coming to pleasure facing events. And I think that keeps some people who are nervous from coming to go because they just mm -hmm. don't know what's going to happen there. So do you mind kind of, providing some examples? Absolutely. So one of the things that I've loved seeing in some of the events that I've curated is how people show up in like different clothes or maybe wearing makeup and they wouldn't have worn makeup to a different event or they try out a corset or a kilt or heels or a wig or some other way of expressing their gender through fashion in a way that they don't feel safe doing in other places. Like that always feels so dope to me. I've had folks come to my events and they're like, oh yeah, this is my first time in drag or this is my first time in heels or this is my first time in makeup and just being able to provide a space for somebody to be like, yeah, I might not be able to do this at a random bar or club, but I feel safe trying this out in this space. And I know that other folks aren't going to treat me weird. Other folks aren't going to make, you know, stupid comments or look at me strange because of the safety that has been set in the space. Love to see it. I want to go back to the DMV in Baltimore queer scene because yeah. you grew up in Baltimore, DC raised you. Um, I came out and went to school in the DMV and Shane is from the DMV. 
what are the biggest differences between the two, between Baltimore and the DMV? Because they are two different scene, queer scenes. Um, and geographically, they're close. They're like 45 minutes without traffic, but big differences. Yeah, Baltimore's queer scene and DC's queer scene are very different. Um, now, I'm not trying to shade my city. So if any Baltimore bays are listening, then like, uh, don't hold this against me. But I feel like my people are in DC. Like, I love partying in DC. I love going out in DC. I feel like there is a Black queer grown folk scene in DC that just speaks to the uncle in me. Mm. Now, Baltimore's queer scenes, and I'll say scenes because I feel like I experience different parts of the scene differently. Mm -hmm. Baltimore has like the very young, mostly white with sprinklings of brown and black folk. Um, very like electronic music kind of scene. And then Baltimore has like live versions of Hoochie Daddies happening in the club. Like right. no shade of Hoochie Daddies because that is <laughs> yeah. prime entertainment. But like <laughs> yeah. the the aesthetic, the attitude, the fights, you can definitely catch that at a little Baltimore turn up. Like mm -hmm. that's very much the energy. And I don't always want the party to end because somebody's fighting. So I would much right. rather go out in D.C. where I know I can have my little sip and I'm much more likely to have a place to sit down okay. and have a good <laughs> little time. Like, it's important. The Baltimore scene is very cute, especially as a lot of the like Baltimore has a lot of folks who come here to go to college, there's art school, there's all sorts of folks who come to Baltimore like for a very specific reason. And they come in, they see what's here, they see what's not here. And a lot of folks come in and will create pop-up parties, events, things for queer folks. And then those things either don't last or mm -hmm. they become something else or they become a space that I ain't trying to be. Mm. <laughs> and I feel like DC gives me what I need every single time. Consistently, yeah. Consistently. It has since... 2006 and it keeps pulling me right back <laughs> love that come on longevity i know exactly Baltimore. did you ever make it to uh paradox or hippo in baltimore those That's were like exactly what i was about to say <laughs> baltimore to gave us paradox baltimore gave yeah. us hippo neither one of those places exist anymore and it they makes me don't. very very sad what mm -hmm. used to be hippo is now a cvs and every time oh, i go in there to pick goodness. something up i feel like i need to be twerking <laughs> the on the speaker because that is <laughs> very much there. what i was doing every thursday night thursday was hip-hop night mm -hmm. at hippo and baby yeah. we had a time i would be at work every friday morning sore because mm -hmm. i was busting it down on top of the speaker every thursday night at the hippo and paradox Whew. was every third saturday yeah. and the paradox was literally a i was gonna say a wasteland and that's not the word i want to use <laughs> let's try another word the paradox was maybe like a like a lawless land that's yeah. that feels it more really, accurate that is so accurate there's so many it was outside of the stadium 
it so yes. you had the parking lot that you pull up to and you pregame and you I mean the hours even were like what was it it's like 12 to 5 Midnight I know it was like 6 a.m there we go so <laughs> so you start ridiculous. the night in the parking lot you have different rooms when you go inside it is a warehouse there's you know kind of a voguing house section they have this massive I mean it's big it used to did it was it a skating rink at some point or something like that? Um, I don't now, know. It's that massive. I don't know. Somebody can chime in on that. But I know yeah. it was this huge like warehouse type space. They always had house and voguing music in one room. They had the little outside area where you yeah. could literally get your hands on any drugs that you any drug. could possibly want to experiment <laughs> with. I was a scaredy cat in the Paradox days, so I didn't try anything. I was always sober as fuck in the Paradox with everybody else around me rolling on whatever they was doing. <laughs> but I still had me a time. And the yeah. thing about the Paradox was they didn't serve alcohol. You brought in your own stuff. So yeah, like people would be yeah. in there bringing bottles on bottles like the pregame was the pregame but if you got in the cut line <laughs> you could bring whatever you wanted through that door and nobody stops you lawless okay wow lawless yeah, yeah. Wow. that was time. during my time too where i'm just out. going out and especially the black queer scene so i just observed a lot because it was always so much going on so besides absolutely pregaming and drinking um that's it. It was like, of course you dance, but it's like, it's, it was so many queer people and it was once a month. So you got people from all over, you know, Baltimore and the DMV. So I miss it. I did. I went and Googled and looked at photos. And I'm like, Oh, you know, I was like, okay, I gotta stop. But <laughs> okay. Yeah. Memory lane. What a time. What a time. Yeah. A lot of, yeah. Lot I learned. got to do a photo shoot in front of the paradox a little bit after it closed um, as a part of this project called project presence. And all of the models were asked like, what was a place in Baltimore that represents your queer journey. And for mm. me, it was a no brainer. So we ended yeah. up doing this photo shoot outside on the metal steps of the paradox, which the one fight I've ever gotten in in my life happened on those steps. So <laughs> that is exactly where I needed to be to like yeah. commemorate this little moment. <laughs> Oh, my God. I hope somebody puts out a documentary about it. It really was a good time. It I would love a Paradox something. documentary. Like somebody really come holler at me and interview yeah. me for the Paradox documentary. <laughs> Another thing that I would love for you to um, give your perspective on and you definitely DM'd us after the Black Drag Queens episode. Um, can kings. you talk about <laughs> the the Black Drag uh, king scene and kind of history of things and we'll get into stud strippers in a second we'll just tease that but that's coming around the corner i love after. that we're just teasing that <laughs> we're this teasing entire that. conversation we're teasing it. <laughs> but i will go on record saying that dc has the best black drag kings in all the land mm. um believe if it. you know a black drag king who is not from dc they have been inspired by somebody from dc they are following somebody from dc on ig they came through one of the pretty boy drag open king nights like somehow they've been touched by the flavor of black DC drag kings. Like there is, there's a, a standard, but also an openness that I really appreciate about the scene here where folks get to experiment. They get to express gender in a way that might not make sense to anybody in the room, 
but it's respected as a part of the performance art. And I just, I just love it. Like for the, for the folks who say they've never seen a black drag king or never seen a good one, come to DC. They're all over the place. Like I can, I can tell you where to find them, baby. Mm -hmm. Like I am mm -hmm. the biggest, biggest fan of what the DC drag kings are doing. Can you name some too? You shared uh, some with us, but definitely oh, want to shout them out. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> so, uh, Pretty Ricky and uh, all of Pretty Boy Drag are doing the damn thing. Uh, King Molasses is my absolute fave. Oh my goodness. I just had to take a moment and think about those biceps geez um <laughs> magic dyke is also one of my all-time faves who is no longer in dc and is like making their mark on the international drag king community mm -hmm. like see i told oh, you yeah. okay the yeah. DC kings are doing a damn thing yeah, yeah. mr worldwide exactly yeah eden was like uh <laughs> there's definitely some black drag kings i'm glad you dm'd us and and schooled us on that because it was like yeah, you know, from my perspective, I, well, I didn't, you know, there's none I could shout out, but they're out there. They're out there. Can you Absolutely. share what you think about the scene and like where they can improve too? That's um, some of the things we talked about too, but yeah, would love for you to share it. Oh, that's a good one. So one thing that I actually love about the scene is that it's super um, body diverse, skin tone diverse, like you get to see a lot of different bodies. I think That's that great. when people think about um, gender performance, they think of performing to a particular like ideal, like you have mm -hmm. to be this super macho version of a man to be a good drag king, the same way folks think of like a super high femme, sparkly, big wig drag queen as the like heightened level of femininity that performers are supposed to aspire to but being able to see big bodies and short bodies and round bodies and differently abled bodies as a part of this like spectrum of gender performance is one of my absolute favorite things um i would love to see more shows with more than one drag king i mm -hmm. think that mm -hmm. what often mm -hmm. happens is that drag king show is all drag kings sure should be that way drag queen shows are often like a whole bunch of queens and then one king or they'll try to say like it's a you know like it's a mixed review or it's a whole it's a diverse casting and it'll literally be all queens and one king mm -hmm. can we get some lineups where we have like couple of queens a couple of kings just a nice little sprinkling i would i would love that mm. throw some burlesque girls in there like okay. give give me a give me a little bit of everything eden the producer this okay. is free game this is free game right here too <laughs> very much that like as much as i love to just sit back and be a fan of certain things i can never turn my like curator brain off and i'm just like this thing should happen I don't no. necessarily want to be the one to do it. I still want to sit back and be a fan. Mm -hmm. So like, here I am putting it out in the universe for yes. someone else to make happen. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, send me a ticket. Just, yeah. just send me one. I was like, send you, you a check to host. Oh, oh, first of all, first <laughs> of all, <laughs> you've also messaged us before that you wanted to have an all stud 
stripper show has that come has that come to fruition has it happened are you still waiting now, for it to I, happen i personally have not had the pleasure of curating an all-stud stripper show but i've been to several they are my favorite thing on the planet now another thing that happens that i'm not the biggest fan of is that a lot of stud stripper shows are um they have cis men performers also mm. and so okay. like not exactly my mm. taste but it's there for somebody to enjoy. Um, so yes, I would love more like exclusively stud stripper shows. I would love to put together stud strippers and drag kings in one production so we can get all of the sexy, all of the performance. Um, but yeah, you know, this is this is just what I'm trying to see. I'm sure there's a market for it separate from me, but uh, yeah, that's how you could just put all my favorite things in one place. Eden, can you give us the history of stud strippers in the DMV and just <laughs> your knowledge on stud strippers? And then we'll really look forward to the book that you write after this right. and release about it. So <laughs> very Question excited. Look, back with us hilarious. again, Eden, with stud strippers, the complete history guide. Sorry. Oh my goodness, this is so funny. Okay. So I can't give the complete history, but mm -hmm. I can give the history from when I started going to the and that was 2006. And this where was, was it? Right around. I'm sorry. I, the Aqua I, I, in DC. Aqua. Aqua. Oh, oh my yes. goodness. Wow. Oh, wow. Mm, what a time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Please what continue. a time. Baby, a time. we used to go on Thursday evenings when it was free before 11. And we would be speeding down 295 from Bowie <laughs> to get there when it was still free because we ain't had no money. And the money that we did have, we wanted to throw at the sex strippers. So this was around, right around the time that Baby had just won the title. I don't remember the name of the title. I don't know all of the titles that exist in such stripper world, but Baby had just won a title. And I remember that their performance was to uh, I Used to Love You by John Legend. Mm -hmm. Now... Put it wow. together in your own brain. Right. Wait, works. I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> the way that they had like backup dancers wait, wait. in choir robes. Like it wow. was a whole little yes. wow. a production. So, wow. Okay. So baby wow. was like the king of stud wow. strippers at the time. Now there was also face erotic. Um, Lucky, who has been a stud stripper since the 1900s. I shouldn't say 1900s because that's literally like when I was born. Yeah. Wow. I was like, don't do that to us. <laughs> 1900s. Don't, do that to us. That don't, was don't let the children influence you as they I say this. It. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> it's um, cool to grow yeah. old. Oh. That's hilarious. We're just gonna, we're just gonna chop that. Um, but yeah, Lucky was the one hosting these shows and she was older. She'd been doing her thing for a while. So she didn't give all of the all of the moving and shaking that the younger dancers did. Lucky mm -hmm. would come out in like a vest or a blazer and some jeans or a dress pant, depending on how she was feeling. She would give us a lip sync to a nice little tank ballad. Please don't go was one of my faves. And we would get the occasional titty flash mm. uh, every now and then when she was feeling frisky, she would lay down on the floor and like pull her strap out or like pretend to be masturbating. It was a whole time. And I got my entire life. I loved every single bit of it. I loved 
every sports bra, every fruit of the loom boxer, <laughs> every white air force that yeah. got creased. It was all just they did it for the um, having flashbacks. It's just the, so the time of my life. I can. <laughs> I was like, I could smell in there. I can. I can remember things so vividly in the club with that. My okay. backward opinion is going to be with this, but is yeah. There's something so distinct about that too that I've only seen a show or two out here maybe once, but it was like I didn't even know it was a like a DMV thing and didn't and didn't like i guess respect it until i left but i was like oh wow okay yeah wait they don't do it like they do in the DMV. not exist elsewhere they do but you know it's not like the dmv you know and yeah i'll get into it with my back queer opinion but yeah there's a lot of appreciation that i have for it now to me it's a very east coast thing like i've experienced mm-hmm stud performers in dc baltimore philly new york atlanta like i feel like all of those cities have a respect for it but going anywhere else folks are confused they're like i don't i don't understand (laughs) because i think maybe it's the word stripper that gets folks hung up because Mm -hmm. when people think stripper they think them and they also think naked a lot of stud strippers don't actually get naked, which is something I also really enjoyed. I like I like a tease. I like a little edging. So it's it was something about the sports bra and boxer combo, especially when they match. That just uh, <laughs> just does something for me. A matching a sports Touch bra and boxer just makes me yeah. feel like you care. <laughs> A little thing. that should have been my bad queer opinion that your your sports bra and boxer should match but i'm gonna go ahead match. and leave that there it's hard i get it's a preview. it the sports bra people don't make don't make the the boxers that the people like the patterns yeah. don't always match the yeah. textures the fabrics i get it i need the sports bra people and is. the and the boxer brief people to really get together and realize that studs are an untapped market Oh my God. I've been thinking that for a long time. I was like, I don't know who's going to do it, but it's, I don't know, billion dollar close enough industry because I was like, if you could just have the the two of those just married where it's like a really good brand, you'd be out of here. But exactly. You know, I've seen a couple of brands doing it, but nobody's doing it big. I haven't yeah. seen it on like a, on like a larger scale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's but like it usually expensive where I was like, I'm not. I'm not paying that. Exactly. <laughs> it's nice. Like for maybe a couple pieces, but it's like, I'm not. Mm, like, yeah. I mean, it's like, like, it can't, it can't be your everyday. Yeah. You got it like that. Step it up. Like, you know, I need a five, six pack. Like let's, you exactly. know, <laughs> you know, got to do what I got to do. So exactly for the, for the economically conscious queers. I know. Yes. Shout out to the no rise or, you know, all that. Just stay in place. Just stay in place. It's just so hard <laughs> to find the right fit. Then they shrink. Exactly. You got thighs you, to worry grow, about, yeah. hips, all Flat. sorts of stuff Flat that doesn't game. have to go yeah. in, you know, in other people's things. <laughs> yeah. I'm be honest. My boxer boxers right now are very close to back there it is it's riding it's riding up and i'm like mm, these it might be time it might be time for these it's too many washes yep it's post thanksgiving i think it's time it might be time for these honestly but, that might know, be a conversation that people need to have around when to let them go yeah yeah i love that 
You know, I think the stud important. community should come yeah. to a consensus of how many washes your sports uh, bras can endure, how many yes. washes yeah. those boxers can endure, mm-hmm. break it down by brand. I know okay. there's a neurodivergent mm-hmm. stud out here ready to put together a Google sheet okay. right now. <laughs> that is the resource the community it. needs. That's what when, the el- when is when is it too far gone that the elasticity just shapes it? When is it when is it too much? The people need to you know. know I feel like now my cadence is at least getting a new rotation or new pack in after like maybe six months, like just trying to rotate things in and out because it's like, it's not like it's like all the way gone at some point. Mm. This is the tangents we were talking about in production, (laughs) but but like you need to rotate. Like I can't just, you know, they can't just leave. I gotta, I gotta rotate them. You know, I gotta get more in and then get rid of some. So maybe like six months, there's probably a better answer than that, but. Um, for me and my budget, like six months. Six, six months, months sounds six solid. Months. Yeah, get a little six pack of, of things, but uh, yeah, treat you yourself every now and then. Treat yourself. No, I try and look for like bamboo material or, of course, Lucky Skeebies, which great material, thick material. Um, you know, no rise and all that. Definitely look for that. But yeah, like I try and look now by material and then see. If it's on one of the sites where you could, you know, get a big multi pack of it, and so, yeah, right. you're all about the multi pack. You're like, I'm not doing I, this one by it's just one. Economical. It's five just five. economical. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's economical. It was so. really funny. I was watching. I'm starting Insecure over, and we got to the episode. It was just the second episode of the first season where she's at Rite Aid. And she gets packed and he walks in and he's like, what are you not coming home? Why are you buying a six pack? And she's like, well, it's just cheaper and more affordable. And that's that's all I heard as you were describing that was that scene. So thank it's you. So funny. Thank you for that. Um, before we get over into bad queer pains, I was like, we can't skip over the fact that you also oh, do important. pleasure coaching and we need to we need yeah. to talk about it. And I, I just love the fact that you also teach a lot at Ivy League colleges and universities. And I just need to know what the experience is like walking into those environments that tend to not be usually safe spaces. I'm sure the students have created some sort of safe space for you to be able to come into. But what does that look like as you're coming on campus or in other spaces and just educating people on pleasure and consent and what that actually looks like? So what's wild is like, well, first of all, the day I got the email from Princeton, I thought it was a scam. I thought it was a joke. I was like, there's no way that somebody from Princeton University is looking for me. But I responded with all the apprehension. I was like, "Uh, who this? Um, No, they they let me know where they found me and they told me what they were trying to do. And at Princeton and at other schools that I've been to, it's really the staff, um, like younger staff as well, who are coming in saying students need safe spaces to discuss sexuality. Mm-hmm. Being in college, being on campus, being away from home, a lot of folks are experiencing freedom in a lot of ways that they've never had it before. Accurate. And in yeah. a very like self-guided way. Folks need safe spaces to either be able to learn how to do better before they fuck up or to fuck up and discuss their fuck ups in honest ways where that they can learn from. And so it's been really dope, like connecting with staff on these campuses about what they feel like their students need. But I think that students are scared. 
I think a lot of students on college campuses are afraid to kind of participate in these group settings that are curated for them because it's still attached to the university. They don't know how private it's gonna be. They don't know if there's gonna be somebody in the room that they don't want to hear what they're about mm -hmm. to say, or like, it, it's just all sorts of things that folks kind of have to consider. Um, and so it's been everywhere from like two people in the room to like a couple hundred people in the room, just based on kind of the felt safety of the space like i don't necessarily get to come in and work with folks for you know months at a time it's usually like a one day thing and folks show up based on how safe they felt like showing up not even knowing who i am or anything about kind of how i operate or what i bring to the space they're just like yeah i don't know if i want to say what i'm really trying to do in front of you know random people that i gotta see in class tomorrow right. so yeah. it really just it really just depends on how how free folks feel to like engage but i'm gonna keep showing up like i'll yeah. i'll keep like you know if princeton wants to email me again i'm here but any any campus any space that wants to host me like i'll keep showing up whether it's two people in the room or 200 people in the room because i feel like i'm a firm believer that whoever's in the room is who needs to be there mm -hmm. and so yeah. sometimes we get into really intense conversations about trauma about family dynamics about real like fears that people are moving through and that affect how they date, how they experience sex, how they experience their gender and their concept of pleasure and even like feeling like they deserve pleasure. There are so many people who are like, oh, well, you know, I'm really busy, so I don't have time to date. OK, you have time to order a vibrator. You still get to experience pleasure. Like, mm -hmm. don't get in your own way of like, oh, all of these things have to be in place in order for me to feel good. No, feeling good is my priority, okay? I recommend at least an orgasm a day, y'all. Like, it really does do wonders for your confidence, your self-concept, your, like, will to get things done. Just feels great. Um, Maybe that's how yeah. build consistency. There you go. <laughs> I can't give maybe. yourself some homework. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's good. You know. That yeah. that I can't take credit for that recommendation that comes from Adrienne Marie Brown, but like I firmly stand on it. One a day, no, whether you do it yourself, whether you got a partner, whether you get real friendly with your shower head, whatever you do, just like give yourself some time to feel good every single day. I love that. Eden, is there a location or setting that you haven't taught in um, yet that you would love to um teach at and we're gonna speak this into existence oh my goodness i love these manifestations okay so princeton was like a big one howard theater was a big one what i would really love 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 to do is to teach consent workshops to nightclub and event staff because mm. i feel like there's so many consent violations that happen in the nightlife space that people just say are baked into the nightlife experience. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be that way. And when violations happen, there should be something in place 
to do about it. And so yeah. that is that's my thing. Like, I really want to get into festivals, um, nightclubs. I would love to, like, go on tour with an artist and, like, make sure that every of every venue that they perform in, like their staff has this knowledge. That seems like something Janelle Monet would hire me for, right? Absolutely. That seems like, Listen, that seems like that. something their team would be down that is something for. Okay, that Janelle so Monet's team would be all about. So there we go. We get That's that call. the manifestation. Yeah. Janelle it's Monet. So specific too. Like yep. Wonderland. Yeah. Hit me up. I okay. would love to prepare all of your venues everywhere that you perform, everywhere that you show up. I would love to make sure that they have an understanding of consent-centered practices and how to respond to consent violations. Okay. We're going to have consent-centered venues. They need that. That you are, and you are the mastermind behind it. It's going to be, it's going to be beautiful. And I think a lot of times when folks think about consent, they think it's just yes, no, or stop when they say stop. And I know that there is way more to consent than just the yes, no, and stop when they say stop. So when you're teaching, what are some of the concepts that you teach when it comes around consent? So I came up with this little acronym to help teach consent and it's consent is right. R-I-G-H-T. So reversible, informed, given freely, honest, and teachable. And I think that using acronyms kind of helps people remember things in general. But I think that these words specifically help you frame consent as something that applies to human interaction in general. You get to change your mind about whether or not you want to hug someone, whether or not you want to spend time with them, whether or not you want to share a meal with them. You get to say, hey, I don't have enough information to make a decision. I need I need to be informed so that I can give consent to whatever it is you're asking me to do. And teachable, meaning that like people think of, I've I've found that a lot of folks think of consent as this thing that you hear about one time, maybe in sex ed, maybe like on the internet, maybe somewhere else, who knows where folks pick up their initial understanding of consent. And then you just never talk about it again. Yeah. Luckily, the circles that I'm in are full of lots of kinky folks, lots of folks who have different relationship dynamics. And so consent is a constant topic. Consenting to dating dynamics, consenting to participation in whatever it is that you're doing. It's it's a constant conversation. And so even bringing up the concept of consent to folks who like don't have it baked into their just understanding of how existing with people works, you have to remind them that like, it's okay to learn new stuff. It's okay that I'm teaching you this right now. It's okay that you've never thought about this before. It's okay that you've never thought about it in this context. You get to realize that like, Consent really should be a part of just how we think about how we interact with people as a whole. And if the pandemic taught us nothing, I would hope that it taught us cons- like to at least be mindful of how close we are to people, sharing space with people, disclosing whether or not we're sick. Like these things all are a part of informed consent also. And so I've I've kind of loved seeing how some of what we learned as far as 
space and disclosure has stuck from what we practiced in the early parts of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But a, we forgot a lot of that shit. Yeah. Like people have completely let go of social mm-hmm. distancing. People have really let go of not showing up to spaces when you're sick or when you're not feeling well. And so I think that like, if we could just, if we could just ingrain that in our understanding of how to keep each other safe, then we would all just be happier people. It's crazy. They made that political. Like, <laughs> it's just like, no, if you're sick, stay home or you don't it's have to wild. be so defiant about some of these measures to just respect other people in their space. It's the that. entitlement like, for me. Like, yeah. what do you mean you should yeah. be able to stand as close to me in this line <laughs> as you want to? No, this sticker on the floor shows you where six feet is. Stay yeah. there. Use That's the visual empowered. cue. I shouldn't even have to say nothing. It's right mm. there. Yeah. I still people look at me weird still standing from a distance like I don't want to be close anymore like I don't you know if I don't have to like I think that's that's just a good thing to adopt in terms of space like if you could do it but yeah we a lot of people have have let the guards down there Mm -hmm. Um, and we all deserve our space like we all if if we're not all up on each other then we won't be as worried about what each other is doing you give me my okay. space, then what I got going on over here really does not have to concern you. Give me my six feet, you get your six feet, and whatever you're doing in your six feet is what you're doing over there. So true. Before we get to bad queer opinions, there is something else that you corrected me about, and both of you brought my attention to. There is a Kia Soul hive out mm. here that I was completely unaware of. Mm. Oh my it's goodness. a thing. And <laughs> I don't know if y'all want to take this time to recruit or whatever, but I didn't know there was a Kia Soul Hive, but y'all both were like, nah, we're out here. And a couple other people too. So I was like, okay, let me back up and get educated here. But y'all, yeah, y'all are out there. Maybe y'all are the new Subaru in a way. I don't know how strong the Kia Soul Hive is right now. I am no longer a member because my car got <sighs> stolen. Yeah. Oh my God. So, yep. I'm sorry to hear yeah, that. Yeah, my car was one Shit. of the ones that were a victim of the TikTok trend. And oh my, my Kia Soul is gone. So I'm no longer a member of the Hive. So and I you. wouldn't be surprised if lots of well informed queers are getting rid of their Kia Souls as well. Because, uh, yeah, nobody wants to be a victim of car theft. It's not fun. It's not fun. That's so crazy. You know, the way that I got the free. Uh, wheel or steering wheel lock from kia that they sent out um thankfully my car is safely parked in a garage now so if i was still where i was living and was on the street i already got got with my catalytic converter i was like when i lived in oakland they would bust my windows Mm. and do the things but i'm still here with my kia soul i still love her and down the high and all of the things that that I experience in there. It's a perfectly compact car, but it acts like it's an SUV. I don't have to be all low in it. I love the car. It's a great car. And now the way that they're making them is so that they don't get stolen anymore. Like all of the new ones that are coming out. So if it's anything prior, like my car is definitely one of those that could hundred percent get stolen. And I just wonder now, every time I walk back out from a grocery store or from target or anything like that, I'm like, Oh, my car's there. Really oh, do. No, really do. Hope. Yeah. The Kia Soul really is, is a compact car with big dick energy. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> like it very Every time much I see one, yeah, that. Just, okay. Stand like that, that should be their new commercial. Kia Soul yeah. compact car. There we big go. Dick big energy. dick energy. Okay. Put that up. Because the way that like the Kia Soul was the perfect car for the queers who were not outdoor queers. 
Exactly. Like that's the perfect bit. Like this is for your everyday queer. That's not being outside. Subaru has the outdoor queers. Congratulations to you. And then the Kia Soul is for the everyday modern queer. Hmm. It's just perfect. And I will share that the back seat of a Kia Soul is so spacious. So spacious. Like I was really? very mm. surprised that mm. me and a six foot tall stud fit back there very comfortably. Okay. Yeah. Y'all were watching movies or? Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Catching up on your reading. Doing. <laughs> yep. Catching up on reading. Yes. Okay. I can Eating see snacks. that. I you know, can see that's that, what we do here. Spacious back there. It's, Especially, a, and it's so easy yeah. to fold the seats down and just make exactly. it. Exactly. You fold those front seats forward okay. and you just got all sorts You're of good space. To go. Wow. Good to go. Now, if you want to get real fancy and fold the back seat down and then you have like the trunk space and the back seat space. Oh, baby. You have a time. Wow. All that. I There's never so even space. thought of that car like that way. Wow. So much space. Look at this. Four this whole activities. thing is a commercial. It's an advertising sponsored by Kia Soul. This episode, but I, yeah, I never knew you could yeah. do all that. You can just soul. go ahead and send us the unofficial check that they didn't know that they were. No, writing. seriously, cut the check. Cut the check. Now make yeah. sure that if you if you run and get a Kia Soul based on the backseat recommendation, that you also get the protection, aka yes. the club. Okay, um, because I would not want your soul to get stolen. I did. Damn. Damn, I'm sorry Aww. that happened to you. Mm. And rest in peace to Jimmy. That was my baby. Oh. Get it, Jimmy? Got soul? Yep. Dream Girls reference. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I didn't even get yep. that. That's so funny. That's, That's brilliant. Mm. Mm. They got to pay you the big mope. bucks, Eden. My God. <laughs> I'm waiting Jimmy for someone to do so. That's honestly. brilliant. It's going to happen. They should have made that it's the gonna commercial because I would have been about it as well. Like that would have gotten me the car even faster. So yeah, they're missing out with that. That as a commercial. Too, those were so, those yeah. were three ads that we all just came right up with there. in that moment. Right so, there. Right yep. there. Right there. Manifesting that as well. We got Janelle Monet and the consent concert venues as well as the Kia Soul Tour. Like, here we are. You're welcome. All of the things. Run yeah. us our coins. Okay. Especially that consent for the clubs and festivals. My gosh. Like, it is just. It's needed. Whew, it's so needed. It is needed. It should be a, like, a, it should be a law. Like, it should be something, for you know, that's required too. Because it's like, yeah, you have these staff members that don't know what to do. And just, you know, people being people. It's, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Please yeah, call it has everything that. to do with the curators. Like some curators are super intentional about having consent centered spaces and having trainings and making sure that their whole staff is on one accord. Other folks are just like, nah, come on in. So right. I think that setting a standard for like creating an understanding of consent and creating an, an, an accountability process for consent violations is how we keep each other safe. Mm-hmm. And there it is. All right. I feel like that's a perfect segue into our bad queer opinions, because what type of bad queers will we be if we didn't have unpopular queer opinions? Eden, I know you know how this works. So I do. Chris and I will go ahead and go first and then we'll pass the mic over to you. Uh, you, you know that you can respond, react, question, judge, agree, any of the above. This is a fun time uh, that we will be experiencing. So I'm going to go ahead and go first. So. We're just through the holiday season. People are going home. They've just come back from going home. I continue to think about this because especially as black queer folks, when we do go home for parents who were not supportive of us when we initially came out, I feel like there is still this chokehold that 
parents have in their household where you still want to go in and you're thrown back into following the rules and they think that you got to follow the rules because you in the house and it's their house. And so you have to follow it. But the same way that it may have impacted how you present yourself as your authentic queer self in your home and being able to feel confident and comfortable to dress the way that you want. Like we may pull those clothes from the back of the closet to be like, all right, these are, these are my traveling clothes and these are the things. And I want to speak to this to any time of the year when you're going home that my bad queer opinion is stop dressing the way you feel your family wants you to Hmm. dress the way that you want to when you go home. Do you be you be comfortable? And it could be for the parents who initially weren't okay with you when you came out and they're better now, but you still feel that that discouragement, that disappointment that your parents expressed on you. And so you feel like you have to present a specific way. Do you when you go home? Okay, and I also want to shout out uh, Jade Fox did a great video on this and talking about her parents and how it feels and that she looks fucking good regardless when she does go home. And this is Jade and I grew up in the same neighborhood. We went to the same high school together like we were we were there. And to to have that, like, I understand that I still I still bring home more feminine clothes, especially now that I've gotten my hair cut. I still bring a bit more feminine clothes when I'm back. Besides when I'm chilling. I'm always chilling in a hoodie and sweats. So that's a normal thing that my family is used to. But if I go out or I dress a certain way, I don't know. I don't know. And that's just a thought that I have in my head that I feel like I have to kind of like diminish my comfort for theirs while I'm home. I'm like, it's temporary. It's fine. Um, We got to stop doing that and just go home and do you. Oh, we I feel that Mm -hmm. I maybe maybe that was for me. Because I still feel the pressure to dress super femme when I'm around my family, Mm -hmm. even though I am like firmly in my like experimental era. Like Mm -hmm. some days it's high femme, some days it's a little on the andro side, it's a little stemmy, like however I feel. But I have a short haircut. And when I first cut my hair, this was in... 2006 so like before the natural hair movement as we know it Mm. before everybody Mm -hmm. was getting the big chop I -hmm. cut off all my hair and my mother said well you know you're gonna have to wear makeup and earrings every day or else you're gonna look like a dyke Mm. and those words still live in my head especially when I'm going to spend time with my family so I feel pressured to put on a dress or heels or something that doesn't make the fact that I am gay, visually obvious. Like, Mm -hmm. y'all know who I am. I've been around my entire life. You've seen this evolution, but I still feel pressured when I'm around family to like present more femme for Mm -hmm. their comfort. So thank you for that affirmation because I'm not doing that anymore. There we go. Yeah, that's a good one. It it only takes one. It really does. And it's like it is it's such a hard thing to shake because of all of the things they say growing up and the things they reinforce and the people around them that kind of that do co-sign that where it's like you're thinking about dress and you're thinking about your hair. For me, I think I just got to a place with. It's really just my mom's opinion. I never could care less what my dad thought um, about like hair like she had a thing she still has a thing about hair like she probably stopped maybe two years ago telling me to like don't cut 
don't cut your sides down too much. You know, it's not going to go back. Um, She would say like, never cut it all off and everything. It was like, she accepted that I was going to dress more masculine, but it was like, but don't cut your hair kind of thing. And like, Mm -hmm. still like just saying these little comments and um, passive aggressive queen. And, you know, I'm, I'm version two of that with it. So we would kind of go back and forth. It would be a long stalemate of like her saying something passive aggressive about like not cutting my hair down. And it being too masculine and me being like threatening, I'm going to do it or just being like or just even fighting with it. So it is a journey. It is like that. You know, it, it sticks with you. And then but you just have to like shake it like it's like I'm a I'm an adult. <laughs> like, right. I, I'm going to dress exactly. how I want to dress like I am. You and know. I bought these clothes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My like, paycheck. Yes, exactly. I think it can feel Mm. different when you're younger and your parents are buying your clothes and you literally Mm. have Mm. to wear what they're willing to buy for you. Mm -hmm. But like, this is my coin. So I'm going to go ahead and wear what I want. Thanks. This is me. This is it. (laughs) This is it. You got to adjust around it. You you do what you got to do. This is this is what I'm going to wear. This is what I'm going to do. So who it's a journey. It's a journey. That's a good one, Shana. Thank you. Um. As mentioned, my bad queer opinion is about stud strippers. I feel like I alluded to this on the show before, but I I definitely have grown in appreciation of stud strippers. Um, the time that I came out and I was exploring my um, queerness in, in nightlife, um, I used to get so annoyed at stud strippers. And a lot of it was because they would cut the music and you know Mm -hmm. it's it's a show and I just like I want to continue kind of the club and the dancing experience and everything and um but really it was hating it's just hating I was just hating (laughs) like I was just like because it's like all this you know obviously the films and everybody is the attention's up there like again the music is it's I mean the you know the club part of it is is stopped it's a performance now and it's like you just I mean, you go to the bulk, you go to the bar and you pout and you're you're just like, when is this going to end? And some nights <laughs> that would be the end of the night. Like once right. that was it. You are so, absolutely right. But deep down, though, too, it was it was hate. It was just hate. You know, yeah. it was it was like, ugh, look at this. Look at this. Look, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. And like the critiques of things because I was a hater with it. Um, I never did anything and acted on it, but I was like, I, I know I was pouting hard and I know that it was like in the moment, me being insecure, young, and again, just an attention thing and admission really too. But, um, I really appreciate it now because it once once I did leave the DMV and going to different, um, you know, being out here in the Bay area and I love the Bay area, area queer scene for what it is and how free it is. Um, but yeah, there's not so many stud strippers out here and um, kind of miss them. You know, sometimes I just, I miss them. Wow. Wow. Yeah. When I went to DC, <laughs> right. I went to DC Black Pride in May when I was back in, um, in the DMV for my uh, niece's graduation. And um, the day party we went to had stud strippers of all body types. I had never seen that before. I was like front row and tipping because I was just so happy to see it because I haven't seen it in a while but I had to grow to appreciate it so you know if anybody's going through that phase right now that that is uh masculine a sinner that's a stud that is hating you're hating you just got to work through it you got to work through it you're just hating you know it's it's some insecurity with that and you know yeah just appreciate it Mm -hmm. because that's culture too like that's part of our culture so yeah oh 
Chris, look at you growing it out it, here. You gotta, you gotta grow up. You gotta grow up. You know. I love it. Yeah. Oh my goodness, is it my turn? It, it is, is your turn. Oh, I'm so okay. excited for this. This is super random and was not on my original list of things that I was mulling over, but it is heavy on my spirit. Mm. And so if the congregation will have me, I would like to share my bad queer opinion. Speak Share on out it. your heart. Speak on it. Stop trying to co-parent pets with your exes. Ooh. I'm sure someone has said this before ah, and I am proud nobody has to said this say before. it again. Nobody has said this yet. Just this is the first. Stop it. It's not a real thing. <laughs> like, I honestly think that what most people are doing when they try to co-parent a pet with their ex is they're trying to maintain a relationship with that ex, but not trying to do the work of reframing that relationship. Like mm. you can't go from we're dating, we're in love, we live together, we're parenting a pet. Mm -hmm. So we're just friends. We're just people who only know each other in this platonic context. Like that requires some negotiation and some reframing and really figuring out what type of access you still have to each other and what you don't. And I think folks put these pets as these placeholders and these reasons to still keep tabs on their ex to still mm -hmm. know their schedule to still have some sort of like insight on their finances how they're spending their time who they're spending their time with like what their life looks like just by proxy of like oh well i still care about the dog the cat the fish the ficus whatever it is mm -hmm. that you're using as this placeholder so like <laughs> Just chill. If you still want your ex in your life, then say that I still want you in my life. And I don't know what it looks like for us to have a relationship that's not a romantic one or an intimate one. But I would like to figure that out. It's just it's just some uncomfortable conversations, folks. Just talk about it. Figure it out and stop putting the dog, the cat, the fish, the ficus through y'all bullshit. Just stop it. <laughs> I love uh, that. <laughs> Over there being like, oh, you're traveling again? Mm -hmm. Oh, with little girl? Okay. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's okay. No, I'll take him. This but this is again. really what happens. <laughs> it's like, oh, can you watch the dog this weekend? I have plans. Plans? Yeah. Where yeah. you going? Okay. This not my weekend. Okay. No, Seems like you're going out I'm more. <laughs> not involved. I'm not interested in dating you if you are co-parenting a pet with an ex. Yeah, that that is pretty wild though. Wow. Like you gotta let it go, you know. You gotta let it go. Just get your own dog. <laughs> just just yeah. get your yeah. own dog. Yeah, I don't get it. That's a good one. That is for some people. <laughs> <laughs> some people are listening. Some like, people just yeah, turned this podcast to... off because they felt attacked. And I'm, I know I'm already it just envisioning the comments and the messages <laughs> that I'm about to get. Like, you don't understand. It's an emotional connection to the animal and we can't just give it up. OK, whatever okay. you have to tell yourself to make it make sense to you. Damn. I still stand 10 toes down on what I said. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> this is one of the best ones in a while. Like, I'm yeah, I'm living because I. And we all know people who have done this. We all do. And continue to do it. And you're just like, just give it up. Anybody else can watch the pet. Anybody yeah. else can take care of it. Like, 
you don't have to go back to them every time. They don't have to come to you to pick it up. Like there's so many things that can cut into the boundaries of what you should be doing with an ex. Like y'all are really meeting in Walmart parking lots to exchange the dog. Like this is ridiculous. Just stop putting yourself through this. Some people don't even <clears throat> maintain friendships with, you know, the ex's friends and all that. So like a dog, like it's, it is a pet, you know, that's your furry baby. Understand that all that dogs get over it. They absolutely will get over it. You'll get over it. Adopt another dog, you know, do something else. But yeah, that that's just holding on to a connection. That's like, you, you don't need to like, or say that you want to, you know, like, but that's exactly. all that is. Let um, the pet like decide. That. Like y'all stand on opposite sides of the room, put the pet in the middle, <laughs> whoever Annie. the pet runs to gets it. That's it. <laughs> Not Keep a whole scene from Annie, okay? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> oh, I love oh, Eden. A lot of gems today. Mm-hmm. A lot of gems today. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. I hope. We, I mean, we did speak a lot of things into to fruition and manifest it and everything. But thanks for so much for sharing your journey and sharing your background. And I know, of course, we've known each other like we said three years, but like you know just even hearing more about you and your upbringing is like just cool to hear. And, and again, all the, the shared locations that we all love. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing. It's so much having you so much fun having you on. Thank you for having me. Like, this is amazing. Anytime that I get to just talk and kick it with like my people feels amazing when we're recording, it's even better because now I have record that like, Mm -hmm. I exist first and foremost because like what we leave (laughs) behind is our legacy so Mm -hmm. actually having proof that like oh my goodness I did this really cool thing Um, but also like just being able to think back on like some of those I hadn't thought about the paradox in a long time I hadn't thought about fighting that bitch on the steps in a long time (laughs) like I have so many memories just floating around in my head that like oh my goodness now I need to journal (laughs) I love this I need to grab the mood boarded or something like just even seeing the images of it are like, woof, just deep, like core memories Baby, for sure. You want to talk about Jeez. growth, man, <laughs> that would be one point in the the progress chart. It is. Yeah. What a time. Very much that. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show, but you know, we would never leave you without giving shout outs to our faves. My shout out this week goes to One Roof Chicago. It is an emerging initiative to build an LGBTQ plus intergenerational community for older adults and youth in need of affirming housing. Uh, They just had a really awesome purple tie affair to raise money for it. Our good friend of the pod, Anna Deshawn, was the person who helped to lead it. It's a really cool initiative. It's growing. You can donate to it as much as you want. And you can follow and support them at one underscore roof underscore Chicago. All right. My shout out is to Color Creative, which is a management company supporting and developing the voices of the future while enabling women and uh, people of color creators to reach their greatest potential. Um, This is uh, Issa Rae is one of the co-founders of this uh, management company, and you can follow them on IG at Color Creative. So I have two shout outs and they're both some of my favorite people on the planet. The first one is Stud Slayer, a.k.a. My Baby Daddy. Uh, but Stud Slayer is or was a masculine of center porn performer 
who uh, really put stud for stud at the, I won't say the forefront because I feel like it's still a very marginalized orientation, mm, but really is. created space for folks to talk about it, really created a reference for people to be like, oh, that's what she's doing over here. I think I'm into it too. Um, and there is a documentary about the infamous Stud Slayer um, that is mm. going to be revealed to the world very, very soon. It is called Slayed, The Untold Story. Um, so if you are at all interested in what it means to be a masculine of center porn performer, um, or even why somebody would think that being a masculine of center person attracted to other studs, boys, and masculine of center people is a thing to marginalize, um, then yeah, follow what the documentary is doing and connect with Stud Slayer because they're just the bee's knees. Um, and I also would like to shout out the Hopra to my Gale, the coffee to my tea, the one and only Gigi motherfucking holiday. She is an internationally known burlesque performer, a black and indigenous burlesque performer that's really creating space for folks of various identities, bodies, uh, ethnicities, skin tones to really be represented in burlesque. Um, and she and I had the pleasure of creating Sanctuary Noir, which was the most fun you could have on a Friday night during the pandemic. It was a virtual strip club that mm. she and I hosted and we created space for burlesque performers and sex workers and dancers to just have space to still do their thing, to still make some money um, during the pandemic when everything was shut down. And I miss Sanctuary Noir so much, but Gigi Holiday is a very busy bitch. So who knows if it'll ever exist again, but maybe by the power of bad queer listenership, we can all just like convince Gigi to, you know, make some space for us to get on Zoom and pop <laughs> some pussy once again. But uh, yeah. As of as of right now, Sanctuary Noir is a memory that I fondly remember um, from, you know, that that bleak part of the pandemic where like that was literally the only thing I had to look forward to on some days. So shout out to Stud Slayer. Shout out to Gigi Holiday. Love y'all big time. Love that. Mm -hmm. Those days. What and a time in my mind. And Eden, can you also give a shout out to yourself and where people can follow and support you? I can do that. Uh, so once again, I go by the name of Jennifer Eden, your favorite femme daddy, dominating crowds from the dungeon to the classroom. You can keep up with all of my shenanigans at Yes Mix Eden on Instagram. That's Y E S M X. E-D-E-N. The M-X is because it's not Mr. It's not Miss. It's Mix because fuck gender. Mm. So come see about mm -hmm. me. Yes, Mix Eden. All right. <sighs> Eden, you know you got to come back. Mm. Please. Yeah, well, that was the virtual recorded. contract right there. So <laughs> yep, thank you. There thank you for signing <laughs> it. And yep. we're, we're already looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time. Who knows? We'll have to we'll have to kiki in in our home ground when I'll all of us are there at the something. same time and figure out something that we can do out in these streets. Yes. Back yeah. for his DMV reunion. I would love that. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to get back out for like 
DC Black Pride. Like me and my wife were like talking about like if we go back annually, it would be for that. <laughs> and just like tell the family like, this is where I'll be. Please come up, come around. But this is where we're going to be and all that. So right answer. DC Black Pride is a time. Like, it's so great. Definitely should come Oof. to that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Eden, thank you so much for taking the time to record with us. Again, we already got you recorded coming back. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time and, and talking to us. Absolutely. This was everything. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And for everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in. And we will see you next week. Take care. Shout out to Sienna Liggins for our Bad Queer soundtrack titled Me Again. And our sound engineer, Cesar, for making us sound like we know what we're doing. If you enjoyed the episode, please take the time to leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time. It's me again. Can we talk about things? I'm so sorry that I'm coming.